Matthew chapter 7 this morning, church family, is where we are, verses 15 to 20. Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. You notice me standing in the spot that uh, Matthew would normally uh, fill on Sunday mornings and leading us through that um, uh, scripture memory. Matthew and his family have been very sick over the recent days with a pretty gnarly uh, stomach virus. So as you think of Matthew and his crew, would you please pray for them? Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20 is before us here. As we're going to think this morning, as we'll see so plainly and clearly in the text, the, uh, the, the deadly deception of false teachers. When you even start in the book of Acts, as you're thinking about the history of the church, and you start in the book of Acts, and then you move your way throughout the last 2,000 plus years of church history, what you're going to consistently find is that the greatest threat and the greatest dangers to the church are not from the outside. It's not to say that there aren't dangers uh, when it comes to persecution. It's not to say that there aren't dangers when it comes to cultural influence that would seek to be pressed upon the life of the church from the outside. Even though those are dangers, What we find in Scripture and throughout the history of the church is that what happens out there is not the greatest danger. The greatest threat to the church comes not from outside, but from inside the church. Inside the church, through the avenue of false teaching and false teachers. Like the Trojan horse of Greek mythology false teaching, it presents itself as a good gift. It comes with a message and an offer of peace. But once inside the life of the church, its doors are flung open wide, and what begins to pour out is death and destruction upon the church. As we've moved through, again, some 2,000 years of church history, beloved, you need to know this morning that nothing has changed. False teaching is not just something that we see in Scripture, but now we've kind of stamped that out and we can kind of move on from those conversations. Because false teachers, with their false teaching, they infiltrate pulpits Their message finds its way into top-selling Christian books. The false teaching of this world infiltrates and inundates your social media feed every single day. False teachers and false teaching has found its way into our so-called Christian entertainments. Here's the problem. That compared to the crooked and perverse generation in which we live, these false teachers and false teaching, it appears to be, by contrast and comparison, it appears to be all right. It doesn't appear to be that big of a deal at all. Those well-meaning in the church who are desperate to confront the darkness of our day, they swing open their doors to these teachers and their teachings, not knowing that they have invited death and destruction into their midst. Christians and congregations find themselves mesmerized by new and innovative ways or forms of what we call doing church. Pastors and shepherds 
who should be those guarding and protecting the flock of God under their care, they are neglecting to protect. Or even worse, they prey upon God's people themselves. False teachers come with a message of, oh, can't we all just get along? Let's just leave our doctrine, leave our theology at the door. They seek to broaden what God has made narrow. And like the false prophets of Jeremiah 6.14, they proclaim peace, peace, but there is no peace. False teachers, they don't contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, and in fact, they allow faith in just about anything. And as a result, churches are torn apart. The unity of the brethren is destroyed. Marriages struggle and suffer. Saints are adrift in a rudderless ship tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. Church, throughout God's Word, God goes to great lengths to make us aware of the reality, not just that false teachers and their false teaching exist, but God goes to great lengths to show us the devastating effects that it has on the lives sitting in the pew. To say it most succinctly this morning, this matters. It matters to you. It matters to us. It matters to your marriage. It matters to your children. We come to Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. Jesus is going to take up that same warning that is resounding from the Old Testament to the New. Jesus takes up that warning. And we come with some questions before us this morning. What are false teachers? What is their false teaching? How can you tell if someone is a false teacher or not? Is it really that big of a deal? All these questions are before us, and they are answered by the text. Church, I want you to know that I preached the text this morning, number one, because it's the next verses in line, all right? Number two, I I preach it passionately for you this morning because I love you. Because I understand the charge that has been given to me by the Lord in Hebrews chapter 13, 17, to give a watch care over your souls. So with me this morning, would you receive God's word? Would you hear it? Would you apply it so that we never, ever fall prey to the deadly deception of false teachers? Look at the text with me, starting in verse 15 of chapter 7. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, cut down, and thrown into the fire, so you will know them by their fruits. I want to point out, as we make our way through the text, I want to point out three truths about false teachers for us this morning. Three truths about false teachers. Number one, false teachers are destructive. False teachers are destructive. 
Beware, Jesus says in verse 15, of these false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly ravenous wolves. He calls us to alert. The very first word of verse 15, beware. It literally means turn your mind toward. Think about this. Engage this. Don't stick your head in the sand and act like it doesn't exist or that it's no big deal. Be ready. Be alert. Think about this. Apply your mind to these things. Because, beloved, this is not an issue that the church can ignore. This is not a problem that will just magically go away on its own. We have to know that what follows in verse 15 is an ever-present reality that we must be on the alert for. And it will be this way, church, until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Beware of what? And at the end of the sermon, I want to come back to that word beware and maybe just offer a couple of practical ways that we can do that. But what are we on the alert for? Verse 15, beware of what? Of whom? The false prophets. Who are these false prophets? Later in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will identify the Pharisees as false prophets. Later, throughout Paul's epistles, uh, even Peter's epistles, Jude's epistle, uh, the New Testament epistles will call out these false prophets, mentioning them as false teachers, false apostles, and even false Christ. However, in verse 15, the scope is pretty broad. Jesus is just speaking in general about false prophets and all manner of false teachers. False prophets were not new in Jesus' day. Remember what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. And so really, from the dawn of time, there have been false teachers with their false Deception. The Old Testament, time after time, speaks to and warns against the danger of false prophets. I want you to see one place. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Just one place where we see very clear language about these false teachers and their dangers. Here, right in the middle of the law of God. Deuteronomy chapter 13, the first five verses. Notice this language, and how seriously God takes this issue. Deuteronomy 13, 1, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you. To find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him. You shall keep His commandments, listen to His voice, serve Him and cling to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt. And redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. 
church from that, what I want you just to understand is that as long as there have been a people of God, there have been false teachers and false prophets among them seeking to seduce them, to lead them away, to have their hearts chase after other passions and pursuits. And what God's Word is stating to us is, hey, beware, pay attention to this, be alert, this is an evil that exists among us. Ever since the serpent, with his forked tongue, with his deception about God, with his deception of the Word of God, ever since then, his offspring, if you will, have plagued the people of God with that same deceptive question, did God really say? And so we can't walk around with our heads in the sand thinking this is not a reality or a problem. To heighten our awareness, back in Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus is going to go on to tell us what these false prophets are like. Not just merely that they exist, but let me tell you what they're like, and let me tell you what they do. Look in verse 15, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. Notice the language, they come to you. It's not merely that they're out there on the fringe. It's not merely the knowledge that they exist out there. Listen, if that's all that it is, that they're just kind of out there on the fringe of Christianity uh, and they just kind of stay out there, that's their domain. If that's all there is, then I'm preaching the wrong sermon this morning. But what does Jesus say? They come to you. They find you. They come to where the sheep are. That begins to heighten our awareness, does it not? It's not that they're on the fringe. It's that they come to you. They seek to infiltrate. They look for a way in. They have an agenda. They have a plan. And they will not rest until they and their false teaching have found a way into the life of the church. Into your heart. Into your mind. Into the way that you think and the way that you live. How do they get in? How do they do it? They come to you in sheep's clothing. You are the sheep of his pasture. You are the little lambs for whom Christ has come and given his life. How do the false teachers get in? Listen, if they just came and knocked on the door and said, hey, I'm a false teacher, can I come hang out with you guys? We're going to say, uh, hey, can we come? Can we come preaching your your, your, pul- your 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 pulpit? We're gonna be like, nah, that's a, that's a hard pass, right? Not happening. But that's not how they come. They come in sheep's clothing, looking like Christians, talking like Christians, but it's all an act. It's a ruse. They wear a mask. They don a costume of sheep's clothing. They carry a Bible. They sing the songs. They do all the things that sheep do. Outwardly, they appear harmless, gentle, even righteous. They speak of Jesus. They seem sincere. 
They seem to be mature believers. They appear knowledgeable of Scripture. Maybe they can even quote large portions of Scripture. They gain the trust of others. But, verse 15, it's a cleverly crafted show. Because inwardly, they're what? They're ravenous wolves. Just to remind you, wolves are not friends of the sheep. Wolves prey upon sheep. They eat the sheep. They destroy the sheep. And that doesn't happen, by the way, just by staying out there on the fringe. You want to get the sheep, you got to get to where the sheep are. So they put on the costume, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Sheep have no natural ability to defend themselves. They're easy targets. And the wolves know this. And so they creep in, looking, smelling, just like the sheep. And it's not merely that they're wolves. I mean, that's a problem. But what kind of wolves? They're ravenous wolves. They have an insatiable hunger, a desire that cannot be quenched. They bite, they tear apart, they consume, they can't get enough, they will not stop. They won't stop. They never stop prowling, attacking, destroying. What about them is so destructive? What about the false teachers dressed in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves? What is it that causes so much havoc, confusion, and destruction. Primarily, beloved, it's their false teaching. In a moment, we're going to see why it matters, but as we're thinking about what is so destructive about them, it's their false teaching. Their teaching is not true. It is not in accordance with the truth and the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Their teaching is deceptive. they, They sprinkle in just enough Bible to make it sound right, but if you only just look and listen, you'll quickly find the deception therein. It's not right. Something's off about it. Scripture is presented as half-truths and out of context. They stand at the broad gate that leads to that broad way, and they declare things like a life of ease is what God wants for you. Again, they seek to broaden what God has made narrow. They say things to you like what God really wants for you. And if you really had faith, your life would be at ease. You would be healthy. You would be wealthy. And you would be prosperous. And the only reason that you're not is because you don't have enough faith. They preach a false gospel with absolutely no demands upon you. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, the false prophet is a man, I would contend also a woman, who has no narrow gate or narrow way in his gospel. He has nothing which is offensive to the natural man. He pleases all. There is none of the offense of the cross. Their false teaching contradicts the word of God. And through their own forked tongues, They themselves ask, did God 
really saying. Now, might be at this point, someone still might be thinking, man, is it really that big of a deal? This seems like a lot of uh, panic about something that's just not really that big of a deal. I mean, sure, I know false teachers exist. They're out there. I disagree with them. I don't think they're right. But is it really worth sounding the alarm over? Just because they say it doesn't mean we have to believe it. Let's just ignore them. Let's ignore it. It won't be a problem. Why all the hubbub? Well, Jesus tells us to beware, number one. And number two, ravenous wolves will not be and cannot be ignored. You can stick your head in the sand and act like they're not out there but they'll destroy you. They'll come for you. They'll find you. They'll seek you out. And they will bite and tear and destroy. They don't just stay on the fringe. They want in. They want to come to you. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul, on his way ultimately to Rome, has a meeting with the Ephesian elders, the elders from the church at Ephesus that Paul loves. There's a long greeting, there's a long farewell that he gives them. And in the midst of that, a warning. Acts chapter 20, look down to verse 28. Again, speaking to the pastors, the elders of the church at Ephesus, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Once the savage and ravenous wolves get in, their false teaching will have an effect on those who hear. Later, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 17, Paul, at the very end of his life, writes to Timothy and is warning him about a couple of people in particular. Their names are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Paul says this about them and their false teaching, that it will spread like gangrene. It'll spread like a disease, like a consuming, gnawing rot that sets in into the flesh of the church. It eats away, it destroys. Here's why it's such a big deal. Whereas the truth of God sanctifies the believer, false teaching tears apart the believer. Whereas the perfect law of the Lord restores the soul, false teaching devours the soul. Whereas the testimony of the Lord makes wise the simple, false teaching is foolish and it makes people foolish. Whereas the commandment of the Lord enlightens the eyes, false teaching dims and darkens the eyes so that we cannot see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Most importantly, 
God's Word says that false teaching makes people twice the sons of hell. It has an effect. Think about the people that you know that have bought in to the lie and what it has done to their lives. Beware. It's a reality that we cannot ignore. Secondly, verse 16, false teachers are known by their fruit. False teachers are known by their fruit. Verse 16, you'll know them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? If there are false teachers, if their false teaching is dangerous and deadly, if they are deceptive and easily slip in among the sheep, then how can we identify them? How can we be on guard? How can we protect ourselves? How can we be safe from them? Verse 16, you'll know them. You'll know. And you'll know them by their fruits. Listen, if you're like me, you don't know anything about like trees and plants, all right? I like them. I, I, I like that they exist. I like that there are people who can make them grow and keep them alive. I'm just probably not one of those people, all right? Uh, I don't pay t- tons and tons of attention. I just enjoy them, you know, uh, and kind of keep on rocking on with my life. I don't know anything about differentiating trees. I can't look at their bark and really tell you that much of a difference. Or, you know, even if you don't like leaves, you look at the leaves and you can't differentiate between different kinds of trees. There is one surefire way that you can identify what kind of tree, especially if it's a fruit tree, that you're looking at. You will know what kind of tree that is by what? By its fruit. And I love this. It's like cookies on the bottom shelf for a guy like me, all right? You'll know, you don't have to guess, you'll know that when you walk out in that orchard and there's apples hanging off the end of those limbs, hey man, that's an apple tree. Or when you walk out there, my favorite, and there's big old peaches hanging off the end of that thing, you're going to know without even really have to think about it, hey, that's a peach tree. You know what kind of tree it is by the fruit it produces. Whatever a tree is, that's the kind of fruit it will produce. This is what Jesus is getting at here in verse 16. You'll know false teachers by the fruit of their life. And then he just helps us to think at the end of verse 16. Think about grapes. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, are they? And we know the answer to that question is no. Grapes do not grow on these little scraggly, dead-looking little thorn bushes. They grow on these vines with these big uh, you know, leaves and these clusters. And what about figs? You don't gather figs from brambles, dried-up dead bushes, do you? No. You gather them from the fig tree. You'll know them by their fruit. You'll know false teachers by the fruit that they produce from the tree of their life. What is the fruit that false teachers produce? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
1 Timothy chapter 6. The fruit growing from the tree of uh, false teachers is the fruit of their teaching and of their lifestyle. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 3. Watch what he's saying. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness. Number one, the fruit of the false teachers' lives is that not only do they themselves believe a different doctrine, but what that doctrine does is that it causes them to live ungodly lives. Because pure doctrine, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, that doctrine conforms with godliness. The outworking of our lives and of what we believe. Verse 4, he's conceited, understands nothing. He has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. We just spend days right here. But you get the point. The fruit that grows out of the tree of the false teachers' lives is their, their lives, how they live, how they speak. They get wrapped up in all those things that Paul's mentioning there. There's division and disunity and envy and strife. Their lives are not being conformed to godliness. And that's because their doctrine is wrong. By the way, how you live, how you believe, will absolutely dictate how you live. That's what the book of Titus is all about. What you believe will dictate how you live. Look back in verses 17 and 18 of Matthew 7. So, it's a principle we all understand. It isn't complicated. Every good tree, healthy tree, what kind of fruit does it bear? Good trees bear good fruit. If you go out uh, when it's time for the fruit to be on the tree, and there is tons and tons and tons of fruit hanging off the limbs, maybe you don't even think this, but what you know about that tree, that's a healthy tree. Its roots are strong, it's getting everything it needs, because it's producing all of this good fruit. So good tree bears good fruit, but, end of verse 17, bad trees, sick trees, something wrong down in the root of that tree, it's going to produce some pretty rotten fruit, pretty bad fruit. Verse 18, a good tree, it's not going to produce bad fruit, and bad trees, never going to produce good fruit an axiom we all understand. Notice in verses 17 and 18, how many trees are there? Two. How many fruits are there? There's two. There's good and there's bad. So the general principle being set forth is that good fruit evidences a good tree, while bad fruit evidences 
a bad tree. Beloved, I would say this to you, the only way to ensure the production of good fruit from our lives, good doctrine, good practice, righteous living, the only way to do that is by abiding in the Lord Jesus. That's why false teachers don't and can't produce good fruit from the bad Because the only way for you and I, let's just start there. Let's just worry about us first, right? The only way for us to ensure good fruit, good doctrine, righteous living is by abiding in Jesus Christ. We recall the words of Christ from John 15, verses 4 and 6, or 4 through 6. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire. and They are burned. You want to protect your own heart and life? from false doctrine and false living, abide Rest in Him. His finished work on the cross is resurrected life. You'll know them by their fruit. Finally, verses 19 and 20, false teachers will face a certain judgment. False teachers will face a certain judgment. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruit. Jesus, the good shepherd of John 10, takes seriously the deception and destruction of his sheep. Jesus, the chief shepherd of 1 Peter 5, sees every abuse committed against the flock for whom he died, and he will exact judgment upon those who pray upon his precious lambs. Those rotten trees with their rotten fruit. Verse 19, what does it say? At the judgment, they'll be chopped down. They'll be chopped down and they'll be thrown into the fire of an eternal hell. Those who spent their lives destroying others will themselves be eternally destroyed. Then Jesus in verse 20 repeats what he said in verse 16. You'll know them by their You can't hide who you are forever. Eventually fruit's going to grow. And when it grows, then you'll know what kind of tree you're dealing with. False teachers, who uh, who they really are, that'll eventually come out. They might have their moment. They might have their day, but you know it. You know it to be true. Who they really are. Down in the root. Not what's hanging off the end of the branches necessarily, but who they are down in the root. In their heart. Eventually, that comes out. It comes out in word. It comes out in deed. You'll know them by their fruit. Listen, maybe you'll never teach 
Maybe you'll never preach. But the warning of verse 19 is still for, still for all of us. All those who do not believe in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. All those who advocate, whether it's out loud to others or just in their own hearts, who advocate another way of salvation. All those who live with no regard for the truth of Scripture. The warning of verse 19 is resounding throughout this room and into your heart. All those are in danger of being chopped down, of meeting the judgment of a righteous and holy God. Sinner, unbeliever, turn from your errant way, your false belief, your false way of living, and come to Christ and abide in Him. Church, how can you beware? Remember how all this started? Verse 15, beware. How? How do we do that? Two ways. There might be a, a thousand. Let me just give you two. How can you be alert? How can we assure that false teachers have no audience among us? Number one, three words. Know God's Word. you got to know the Word of God. I, 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 don't, I don't mean that you can show up on Sunday and if I say turn to Obadiah, like you, you, you click right to it. I'm not, not, we're not talking about that. I, we're talking about knowing God's Word so deeply and so intimately that when false teaching comes your way, not if, but when, you're going to recognize it as counterfeit. You're the, you're the teller at the bank who spends all day rifling through the money, just feeling it and touching it, and when the counterfeit comes in, wait a minute, that didn't feel right. Something's not right there. That's counterfeit. You'll know. But if you don't know God's Word, if it doesn't take root in your soul, if it's a Sunday-only kind of thing, if it's a now-I-lay-me-down-to-sleep kind of thing, you are in grave danger of being carried away by every wave and wind of doctrine. You've got to know God's Word. You remember the Bereans in Acts chapter 17? Paul shows up, they preach the gospel. I love this so much, by the way. Acts 17, 11, it says, They received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Paul comes, Paul preaches, what do they do? They go home and they examine the Scriptures daily to figure out, is this Paul guy, is he right or is he wrong? Is he true or is he false by the way any pastor any teacher worth his salt will gladly welcome questions and will rejoice when his people examine the scriptures daily to verify that what they're hearing from the pulpit is true a pastor if a teacher gets angry at those questions, bristles at those questions, 
doesn't want his authority to be questioned in that moment, you might just have a wolf in your midst. Know the Word of God. Examine the Word of God. And secondly, pray for discernment. Don't trust in your own understanding. Pray for discernment. Read the Word and then pray, O God, by Your Spirit in me, help me to discern. Help me to discern that what I read is true. Help me to discern when I hear other things. Help me to discern. Know they are true. Church, where, where matters to your soul, matters to our body, matters to your marriages, to your children. Where, pray together, Father, as we contemplate this in the hours and days and weeks to come. God, uh, cement our hearts to the truth, and God help us to love nothing else but Your Word. Father, as we continue to chew on these things, Father, I pray that you would cause your Spirit to work among us. Help us to respond as we should. Thank you for your Word, and we pray it all in Christ's great name. Church, let's stand together if we can.